comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Podcast episode 86. I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined tonight by Jim Dietz, Russell Latham, and special returning guest, although it's been a while, Mr. Aaron Newworth. How is everybody doing? Doing well. Doing great. I'm glad to have Aaron here with us. I mean, he's so cool to write those uh, in-depth reviews of each episode of The Walking Dead for our site at you know, com. And plus, of course, Aaron has a uh, podcast of his own out now with Aaron and Abe where they review uh, all the brand new movies out in the theater. So it's, it's great to have him on. Thank you for the generous plugging, but yeah, I'm just happy to be here, and you know, I certainly appreciate all the uh, the fans of the podcast who do read my reviews every week because it's uh, you know I put I try to put my effort in there and put my two cents in. So. Well, tonight we will be discussing Arrow on the Doorpost, the newest episode of The Walking Dead, and we got a voicemail and all kinds of other fun stuff. So we'll get to that right now. What do you think, gentlemen? Yeah, sounds good. No, no need for further ado. So the episode starts with uh, Rick, Daryl, and Herschel driving out somewhere. We're not exactly sure where it is at first, and it's, a, it's definitely not a place we've seen in the show. There's grain silos, there's a barn. Um, they seem to be scouting out the place, but they don't... You, you have no idea what they're doing. They finally enter a barn. Uh, Rick goes inside, and there's a table in the middle with two chairs. And as he approaches the table, who steps out of the shadows? But the governor. Um, he takes his gun out, he puts it away... And he says they have a lot to talk about. And that is our opening scene. So we've obviously had a little bit of a time jump here in the show from last episode. Yeah, that was the first point I was going to make is that it's definitely some time has passed uh, since the last episode. I mean, we, we see that, you know, Rick and, and Michonne and Carl have made it back to the prison and now they're headed back out here. Um, the whole for opening part of this, there was no dialogue at all up until the point the, the governor steps in. And I thought that was a really cool choice for the first, like, two or three minutes. There's, you know, it's totally uh, silent. You just have uh, Rick and Daryl motioning to one another as they, you know, they're approaching the area, approaching those tanks in the barn. Uh, you see, you know, Herschel has now weaponized his leg. Uh, in in that little close up there inside his, uh, uh, in in the car, you know, while he's driving. Because that's the one thing I was thinking, I'm like, how is he operating the brake in the accelerator? But you look down and he's got the the fake leg with, you know, the artillery um, uh, duct tape to it. He's taking a a page out of the Merle handbook, I guess. Uh, But this opening, it just uh, uh, was a holy crap moment for me, just to to see the governor and the Rick in the same room. Just, I mean, my jaw hit the floor. I I had no idea and I had no expectation that this was what was going to happen. And before we get to them to getting face-to-face, like you said, that whole uh, wordless opening scene, it was very reminiscent of the season premiere and something that was very nice to see again, just how much of an oiled machine this group is. Um, And it's a good reminder of just how well they work together tactically as we get closer and closer to the inevitable showdown between Woodbury and the prison. And it also shows how how much of a lieutenant... Uh, um, you know, Norman Reedus' character, as uh, Daryl has become, to Rick. You know, he's definitely Rick's right-hand man now as they go in. They're just like, you know, they have their, their lives in each other's hands, and they're definitely, you know, um, you know, the leader and, and his right-hand man for sure. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys just said. It actually is my favorite part of the episode, having this whole wordless open, which is, you know, just like the premiere, just shows how efficient they all are and is, you know, pro- appropriately tense just because it's like what's happening, what's going on. It's not... It's, it's giving you information as you need it and not telling you exactly what's happening. 
Right. And then once, of course, Rick and the governor get face-to-face, which they had released that particular scene uh, last week, I think in, during Talking Dead or maybe uh, Comic Book Man, I forget off the top of my head. But um, that scene, just, you know, so tense and just... the. the you want to you want to almost shout at the screen, you know, shoot him, Rick, or you know, don't trust him, or it's it's a very um, reaction reactionary scene, a scene that calls for audience reaction, and I think it did a job its job pretty well. Yeah, considering how far apart Rick and the governor were just a couple episodes ago, as far as you know, Andrea, you know, trying to be the mediator, but you know, they they just seemed like they were you know on divergent you know one eighty from one another uh, to see them both in the same room like this. And as we see in the episode, there's some really you know good close up character acting between Andrew Lincoln and David Morrissey in these scenes as well. Um, I just the the I really like the little Michael Corleone thing going on with the table. You know, the governor, like, takes off his belt, takes off his weapons, puts his hands up, yet sits down at the table where there's a, you know, the pistol uh, duct taped to the side, uh, just like, you know, Godfather. I, I really, I thought that was pretty cool. It just added to the yeah. tension. Actually, related it to, um, in my review, I related it to the scene in Heat, where Pacino and De Niro meet up with each other. Oh, yeah. So outside the barn, Daryl and Herschel are sitting out there, one up drives uh, Martinez, Milton, and Andrea. And we, we kind of glean from what they say to each other that in the time jump between last week's episode and this week's episode, um, Andrea has, you know, brokered this, this summit between the governor and Rick so they can come to the barn and hopefully hash out peace terms. And so she goes inside the barn to join their negotiations. And Rick immediately jumps in with, okay, here's what we want. You got this river here in between Woodbury and the prison. You take everything on your side of the river. We take everything on our side of the river. We don't cross, not even a trade. We leave each other alone. And the governor promptly says, there's no way that's happening. Uh, The only reason he's there is to accept the complete surrender of Rick and his group. Well, there's that great scene uh, that you uh, you just mentioned earlier where Martinez, Milton, and Andrea pull up, and Martinez and Daryl just look at each other, and at the same time, not only their eyes lock, but like their their the, the muscles in their neck clench. It's almost like when you drop two two dogs together who don't know each other. You know what I mean? And and they both want to be supreme. You just they immediately are just like looking at like they look like they want to be at each other's throats. And you know, Herschel even says, you know, if things go south in there, you'll be at each other's throats soon enough. You know, and right, why right. why rush it? You know, and I I thought that was that was really cool. And as we see later, you know, they have kind of a begrudging respect for each other later in the episode. But that first scene where they were, you know they first pull up, it's just immediate immediate tension on both sides. And there's a lot of good content between those two characters. Honestly, between uh, all the character interactions um, between Woodbury Group and the prison group that we haven't seen before, I thought played out pretty well. They play out well. It's pretty convenient that both sides have the exact opposite of each other to kind of play against this episode. But, I mean, it's fun watching those two, the the various interactions between, yeah, uh, Daryl and uh, Martinez, Herschel and Milton, and Rick and the governor, obviously. And Andrea and Andrea. Andrea and Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon to Nickelodeon. So the governor sends Andrea out of the room so that he and Rick can focus just on talking to each other and so they can talk freely because it's made pretty clear that Andrea does not understand everything that's happened. I mean, which we've talked about quite a bit, how much we know versus how much she knows uh, the governor has done. And the, after Rick mentions a few things, you know, he just... Uh, hints on what happened with Maggie, and it's pretty clear that Andrea has no idea what he's talking about, um, and so that's why the governor sends her out. But this scene also did a good job of uh, answering a few questions we'd gotten from listeners, and it even discussed ourselves over the show, which is like, well, has Merle not told Rick about uh, what the governor did to Maggie or what he did with the what he did with the National Guard? And while I don't think it's said in as many words, you know, like National Guard specifically, it's made pretty clear that somewhere off screen in between these two episodes, Rick has been fully informed um, of what the governor has been doing in Woodbury. And I think honestly, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but looking back, this was probably the right decision. Um, we didn't need two episodes of Andrea going back and forth and setting up this meeting place. We don't need all those scenes of... Uh, Merle, you know, laying out, and then the governor did this bad thing, and then the governor did this bad thing. Um, in hindsight, I think it worked out pretty well to just, Rick knows, it's clear how he would have known, and uh, let's just move on from there. Yeah, it's funny because Rick says he knows about, the, he says the raids. And, 
Yeah, which, I, which I'm assuming means... That kind of alludes uh, to Guard. that National Guard thing, for sure, I thought, anyway. And it, also, the governor says that he knows about Rick, too. You know, he's, he knows about Shane. He knows the fact that Lori's baby might not be his. Um, you know, all these things about Rick. And it's just really um, incredible to me that Andrea told the governor that much about Rick. Cause how else? She really spilled the beans, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, why, why would she... She's got know, loose lips in more ways than one, let's just put it that way. <laughs> it seemed like odd, odd pillow talk, you know. Oh, let's talk about, you know, the fact that this you know, baby might be Shane's and, you know, and all this other stuff. And let me fill you in all the backstory of Rick and... It just—I mean—it made more sense that Rick knew about the governor than the governor knowing so much about Rick. I thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the po- apocalypse. You don't have Maury anymore, so how else are you going to get that style <laughs> of entertainment? You got to tell everybody. It's just unfortunate too, because like, and like, I've—I've been—I've been fairly vocal that I don't care for how Andrea is being portrayed here, but she's not even in the scene, and she's still the worst thing about the episode <laughs> because she's know that she told all these facts that like were really don't help Rick out at all. It's like, oh, thanks, Andrea, telling me that I might have this baby daddy situation going on here. But Am I, am I missing something? Is there some other way the governor would have found all that out other than Andrea telling him? Yeah, I mean, Not, if, if she read the I blogs mean, I, online. I don't know. <laughs> honestly, I think there is one other place he could have known, and this is um, probably the one place where maybe seeing how he learned this information could have been helpful as opposed to like Rick learning about what he did. It's fine. He knows that we don't need to know the exact circumstances. But, you know, with Andrea, when if it was her, when did you tell him? Was it before um, they even found Rick's group, when she was just reminiscing about old times? Was it after? Uh, but I think the other place it could have come from is Tyrese's group. You know, they were there for a few days, could have overheard a few stories. They passed that on to the governor. Because, um, I mean, they're not present in this episode, but remember, they are in Woodbury. They could have told him stuff, too. Well, Andrew didn't even know Shane was dead until the recent trip to the prison, right? So, how would she, you know, she didn't even know about the baby or whatever. And, and I mean, she knew the baby had been born, obviously, but I'm just thinking she would have had to have told him after her trip to the prison. Well, unless that information came from Tyrese and his group. Right. You, you know, they're there for a couple of days, swapping stories. Uh, Rick wasn't there, so that they could have been talking about him kind of freely, and it's one of those things you can talk about without, you know, giving away a tactical advantage, just explaining, you know, some of the stuff they've been through. Plus, like I said, there's no Maury, so what else are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I feel like Carl has given some pretty dead-on looks to, to Tyrese's group that he probably wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to allow having those kind of conversations go on. Like, don't talk about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so for now, I'm just saying, let's blame Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> It just seems more plausible that Andrea would have told him rather than Tyrese. Well, well that's what I'm saying, though. That, I mean, this is probably the one place where seeing how we got that information might have been uh, might have been helpful. But it was still, I thought, an effective scene when he drops that information and Rick is like, uh, how the F do you know that? Well, we'll, we'll find out next week in the Nikki and Paolo-style Tyrese episode. <laughs> so, back inside the barn uh, with the governor and Rick. Uh, the governor keeps trying different... Uh, different approaches to see what he can do to you know convince Rick uh, the, of his rightness. Um, he talks about how all the bad stuff that was that was Merle. You know, Merle did this, Merle did that. This was Merle's mistake. I, you know, I just did what I had to do. Um, he then offers Rick whiskey. Then again, like we talked about, he talks about everything with Shane. Uh, he then tells a story about how his wife died, which I think lines up with what he's told people before. So either well-rehearsed lie or it is the truth. I honestly don't think it really matters. So then the governor takes off his eye patch and shows Rick exactly what was done to him and explains, here's my terms. You don't want to surrender? Fine. I only want one thing. I don't want your stupid prison. I want Michonne. She did this to me. I want her. And he says, you know, if you hand her over... In two days, over here at the barn, we let your group go free. You never bother us again. We don't bother you again. We just want... I just want uh, Michonne. I want my revenge. Yeah, so the go- yeah, so the governor lays out this plan, and I feel like I'm right away knowing that uh, he's not going to take Michonne. Like, that, or that, that's not the only thing he wants. Like, he's still going to probably kill Rick. Like, I, I can't hold... <laughs> I'm not going to hold the governor up to this word. So, Rick... Rick needs to get a clue, but uh, I'm happy yeah, that he's struggling Yeah, I'm totally agreement on you there. I mean, I'm... The way the governor has acted, you know, thus far, his behavior, we, I mean, I definitely, I think the viewer is led to believe that there's no way he will stop it, just, you know, Michonne. Never trust a man with one eye. Old pirate proverb. What about Nick Fury? 
You should never trust Nick Fury. Yeah, he was. He was. He wasn't telling everyone the whole truth in the Avengers. I mean, I, I think he's an awesome character, comic books and movies. But you never want to trust him. <laughs> he will screw you over. It doesn't matter what side you're on. But um, okay. So getting backtracking a little bit, I, I do like I do like the governor trying to appeal to Rick in various forms, and Rick just not being fooled by any of them. Like he, you know, he bring he brings up the Merle. Merle did everything, and Rick comes back was like, "What? You can't take responsibility." Then he comes, then he tries to offer whiskey, and like, "I don't. I'm not drinking. I'm, we're talking business here." And then, and then, uh, or does even if he does take a drink, he's not about to get drunk with them with the governor. He wants to he wants to talk about his people. He wants to get the job done. And then the governor tries to lay down a sympathetic story. Now, when he tells a sympathetic story, you know, about his wife dying, I'm thinking. Everyone's lost something, right? Like, it's, that, that, I wouldn't think that's much of an appeal either, I get, but he's trying to, I get, you know, I guess Rick is, he's, he's, you know, he just got back from dealing with his dead wife walking around in front of him, so I guess that maybe could have put him over the edge, but, you know, then... The I was of, waiting for Rick to be like, that all you got? Have yeah. I got a story for you? <laughs> yeah, my son had my, a mercy kill my wife as she gave birth to my daughter. Top that, biatch. <laughs> so, yeah, then, like, okay... Give us Michonne, and like okay, so that presents an intriguing idea. But again, I can't. I'm not trusting the governor at any point in this. But at least I, I guess it got Rick's attention. He had his curiosity. Now he's now he has his attention. Right. <laughs> to quote a very fun movie. <laughs> well, before we continue on with the rest of the uh, synopsis, Russ, why don't you tell us about our wonderful sponsor? Sure will. Our sponsor, as always, for the Walking Dead TV podcast is. Discount comic book service, that's dcbservice.com, where you can get all of your comics, graphic novels, trade paperbacks, uh, digital comics even, uh, for incredibly low prices. Um, This month, some Walking Dead-related items worthy of note are uh, Walking Dead monthly issue number 110, and you can get it for 40% off at $1.79. There's also... For uh, for you high rollers out there, there's a Walking Dead Michonne resin statue, which is pretty pretty cool looking. Um, that one is two eighty nine oh six. That's two hundred eighty nine dollars. So if you're really into the Walking Dead and want something really cool, you could check that out. Um, there's also some really cool Walking Dead TV bookends. Um, those are twenty percent off at seventy one twenty. Um, if your tastes go towards more of the traditional comic side. Marvel's been doing their initiative they call Marvel Now, and you can get a bundle of all of the current Marvel Now titles for 50% off. So instead of paying $149.59, you will pay $74.79. And uh, continuing on this month, our all Marvel hardcovers, trades, and DC hardcovers and trades are all 50% off. So there's some really cool uh, stuff this month. Marvel 1602, the 10th anniversary edition oversized hardcover is only fourteen ninety nine, um, so that's that's a definite steal. Um, the March orders have just come out, so you got till the end of the month to get those in. Uh, if you're into digital comics, definitely check out their uh, their link to the Comicsology site, uh, where you can earn five percent of your digital purchases towards your regular order on the the main DCBS site. And as always, use the code WD eight if you're a first time orderer, or if you haven't ordered in the past year. Um, that definitely helps us out by letting them know that you're a listener to our show and patronizing our sponsor. So, again, we thank DCB Service for their sponsorship of the Walking Dead TV podcast. Yes, we do. So, outside, while Rick and the governor are having their negotiations, we catch up with the rest of the characters. Uh, Daryl and Martinez go and kill some walkers and share some cigarettes eventually. At first, they hate each other, but then they come to begrudgingly respect each other um, in the way you'd expect, but it's still really fun to see them interact and especially see them try to one-up each other killing zombies, which, of course, Daryl wins. Well, the funniest part of that was, like, you know, after you. Oh, no, after you. And then Andrea just looks at them both and, like, rolls her eyes and then gets the first zombie kill. They have a uh, walker stick measuring contest. <laughs> right. My zombie's bigger than your zombie. It is interesting too because they they're just messing with each other. They you know, they call each other names, um, you know, douchebag and stuff. And uh, you know, Daryl tries to make peace and offers him a cigarette. He's like, "No, I prefer menthol." You know, <laughs> they're just being like total dicks to each other. And then finally, you know, he kind of he ends up uh, you know accepting the cigarette from Daryl, and they kind of 
you know, Daryl, I mean, they're, they have the understanding that, you know, in a few days they're going to be at war with one another. You know what I mean? That, that scene is, I, I, I really like some of the character work in this episode, even though, like Aaron said, it is kind of convenient that each, you know, group's opposite number showed up for the negotiation or whatever. But I mean, the character work between, um, uh, the, you know, Daryl and Martinez here, you know, where they're just kind of like, you know, you know, they're not going to come to an agreement, you know, we're going to be, you know, going at it. And they're just like, yep. You know, they're just kind of resigned to the fact that in a few days they're going to have to kill one another. But honestly, I mean, well, yes, I would say obviously Herschel and, or not, I'm sorry, uh, Daryl and Martinez are each other's opposite number. And we'll get to the Herschel and Milton scene in a second, but I wouldn't say Herschel and Milton are each other's opposite. They're the right hand, they're the right hand advisor. They're like yeah. the consigliere. I hate to keep using Godfather things, but they're like, they're like <laughs> it you know, it does. I mean, Herschel is definitely Rick's consigliere. I mean, every everything, you know, I mean, even later when, you know, Rick comes to Herschel and tells him about the governor's offer for Michonne, I mean, he, that's, you know, Rick's counsel. And that's, you know, Milton is the governor's counsel. He's the one that's, you know, totally loyal, faithful to him and, and counsels him on what to do next and stuff. So I definitely see, you know, them as, as you know, each other's opposite number. Right, but I think my point was more, this isn't like that scene in Shaun of the Dead, where Shaun and his group come up against uh, Yvonne and her group that are no. pretty much literally clones of each other. I mean, at least in this case, having your advisor and your muscle there at this negotiation makes quite a bit of sense. Yeah, you know I, what I, I, mean? I definitely think they're similar in position, and I think that's what Jim's getting at. They're definitely character-wise and, and the way they behave very, very different from oh, each other, yeah. but... But yeah, I think it's just the whole, I've got my number one, you know, muscle and my number one advisor with me on each side of the fence. And then Andrea is, is obviously the, you know, middle, middle woman. Right. Uh, the Herschel Milton scene's pretty funny. At first, they're a little bit standoffish. Then they get to talking, uh... Milton asks about what happened with Herschel's leg. Herschel explains what they had to do, and Milton is immediately fascinated by this being the self-taught scientist that he is. And so, of course, he asks to see Herschel's stump. And, of course, as we remember from the beginning of the episode, Herschel has guns duct taped to his leg, so he can't exactly show them. So he makes the joke, you got to at least buy me a drink first, and they get to share a laugh. It's the most genuine part of that episode, of the episode. It's just, it's... It is a fun moment that they both put their guard down, even though Herschel is obviously hiding the fact of something. He's quick on, he's quick on his feet, and um, on his foot. <laughs> he, he, uh, he comes up with a way to defuse the situation, which it made me laugh. So. Right. One, one of the things I'll say, and sorry, my internet has not been kind to me this episode, but um, did anybody else find the scenes outside of Rick and the Governor much more interesting than the Rick and the Governor scenes? Yes, I did. I mean that's how I felt the whole episode. I was much I I was happier and I I I was much more in tune with what was going on outside that room than what was going on in that room. Um and not to say that I didn't think that scene the scene with Rick and the governor was necessary. It just seemed like it it took a long time and not a lot. I mean in the end not a lot really happened. I mean, and I know a lot of it was meant to them feeling each other out. This is the first time they've sat down. This is how they're, you know, they're trying to, to figure out what each other's all about, what they believe, what they don't believe, all that kind of stuff. And, and I get that, but I just didn't find it as interesting as it had its moments, but overall I didn't find it as interesting as the interactions with the characters outside of, of the, the meeting room and then back at the prison. I just, I just thought those interactions were much better character moments than, than even the Rick and Governor stuff. Yeah, Russ, I actually am completely on the same page as you because I do think that while Rick and the Governor, they're, of course, you know, they're Andrew Lincoln and David Morrissey, they're good actors, and I think they, they get their moments to do some things that, are, that work for the episode. But, yes, I, did ha I had a lot more interest in what was going on, going on outside just because the inside stuff, it and it kind of reflects my thoughts on the episode overall, but it wasn't. It didn't kind. It didn't quite reach the the tension that I think this episode wanted it to reach for me. Like I get yeah, that exactly. they're obviously oppo yeah they're obviously opposing figures, but it's not like I it's not like I think any either of them is going to die this episode. And I know no one no one really thinks that, but the the show didn't create what it needed. I think to fully make it seem like a really tense situation of oh my god rick and the governor are facing off of each other we can't what's going to happen it didn't it didn't have me on the edge of my seat watching those scenes but yeah it, they you know yeah, they have the moments but not quite as interesting as having hey what's what, what do herschel and merton milton talk about like yeah that. if this was a season finale 
or even like the season four mid-season finale, then maybe my antennas would have been raised up a little bit to say, maybe somebody's not going to walk out of that room. Maybe it could possibly even be Rick. You just never know. Um, but given where we are in the season and it's it's still very early in this conflict between these two groups. Again, I just didn't feel and th- that there was any peril. And and I don't think that was really the point. I don't I don't think they were trying to make you feel like, "Oh, one of them's going to get blown away." But it, it it did tend to dial it back some, you know, at least from an expectation standpoint. I think um sorry, I I think um Martinez and 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 Daryl almost sum up some of the episode by saying that it doesn't matter because we're going to be fighting anyway, basically explaining that it, this episode doesn't quite matter and it does feel like filler. And that's kind of where I came at it with this episode, even though I do recognize that there are good things in it. There are, and we'll talk about that more as we go on in the, in the episode. I was kind of hoping the impending threat of Merle showing up would, uh, you know, culminate in him, like, you know, going down there and, you know, then, you know, really, you know, sparks would fly. I, I, I thought, you know, that, that, like you say, the, the, interaction of the characters outside they seem to like have kind of an understanding of one another whereas rick and the governor didn't seem to have an understanding of one another at all there's kind of uh you know a lot of posturing and a lot of you know the governor trying different approaches on rick and rick not buying any of it uh i thought there'd be more of a progression of the plot you know from from their meeting but there really isn't they're pretty much right you know while we'll find out at the end of the episode they're they're right where they were pretty much you know before they met so um i I don't know. I, I did buy the tension, especially when they showed the you know the other du- the other gun duct tape under the uh, the table. I thought that was going to come into play at some point, uh, but it didn't really. Well, I guess. But um, yeah, I I was expecting more to to happen. I guess than just them like drinking whiskey and then parting ways. Chekhov's duct tape gun. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure you know with with them planning to re meet there in two days. That gun might come back into play. I hope so. <laughs> they introduced it. So. Like maybe Rick and his group check out the room and f- and find the gun and leave it there, but unload it first. And you know, you could have all kinds of fun with it. So while Herschel and Milton are having their story, and Daryl and Martinez are having the story, eventually Andrea comes around, and because she had overheard snippets of Maggie's name uh, between Rick and the governor, she asked. Uh, Herschel about it and finds out what happened, at least in abbreviated terms, what happened to Maggie. I believe uh, Herschel's exact words were, the governor is a sick, sick man. And she is told in no uncertain terms by Herschel, you are welcome from us, but wherever you go tonight, that's pretty much where you're going to stay. Wherever you end up, that's your choice. But uh, the the decision pretty much has to be made right now. I I like that too, because... I got the feeling they were being purposely vague with the details of what happened with Maggie because the look on Andrea's face, there was a lot of disgust there. And I I think that Andrea thought that he pretty much sexually assaulted her. I mean, not that making somebody take off their shirt and bend over a table and coming up behind him is not a form of sexual assault, but they made it seem that he was a lot more aggressive Um you know, violently, you know, physically than, than he actually was, which I think was kind of a smart play because to some degree, I think she needs to be knocked over the head a little bit with how bad this person is. And I think more than a little bit, but yeah, yeah. And I think, I think she's almost there. I think she knows that something's not right. I mean, the look on her face, even when she was, you know, leaving at the end of the episode, you could tell, you know, so, so you know she's 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 there, and then you know, gr- granted, what happened at the end of the last episode, um, she's I, I think she's there. She's I, I'm not sure what her her game is, and I think um, I think we're going to see it play out here pretty quick. But that part I really liked. I really liked them them amping that up, and Andrea starting to kind of gravitate more towards understanding who this guy really is. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. that all happened while while he, she was sleeping with him. You know, so I mean, that's got to impact yeah. her. That's got to have, uh, yeah. you know, it's got to, you know, have some impact on her character's trajectory going forward for sure. This is this is why Herschel's my rock. Like every week, if he just like knocks some sense into somebody, whether it be Rick and his craziness or Andrea and her, you know, being a terrible character, I mean, I can, I'd be content with Herschel just being like, listen, do this. Like that's all I need to hear. That's what really scares me about the fact that he's a. Uh like an also starring or he's not in the, in the main credit scene. So he's not a, 
like a, a you know full primetime player or whatever. I that know just, it scares me because I'm like any minute now. <laughs> um, I'm Carol really isn't either though. I mean Melissa McBride right. is still, still a second uh, string uh, credits too, and she's been around longer than you know a lot of the people or some of the people in the first string. So. Yeah. I, like, I like that more tension's being created out of the fact that people aren't in the main cast than the actual yeah. show's providing yeah. me with. Yeah. And yet Sarah Wayne Although, Kelly's is still in the in the uh, credits, even yeah, though her character's yeah. been dead for how long now? Uh, well, we're, we're she showed up. We're, we're I know, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I guess that maybe you know. Again, I think I think it's kind of cool because it keeps you. It keeps it truly keeps you guessing because you know we have seen people that have been main credit players that have been summarily dispatched and then we see people that are um you know secondaries or quote secondaries uh, i think it's just more a pay thing and a in and a, and a hollywood bookkeeping thing than it is anything else if if uh and aaron you could yeah. probably speak to that more than i could but uh yeah yeah because that's how like norman reed has played out in that one too like he's was just like he became a guest star and then now he's like full player of the cast but i mean herschel has been around so it's yeah it's, it's as well as on elizabeth bride the two of what i think are two of the best actors on the show <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, go back and listen to our podcast. I always sing the praises of Scott Wilson. Oh, I'm aware. I, I listen in. I know Scott Wilson. We are fans of on the show. Yeah, he, he yeah. was the best thing about the Judge Dredd movie too. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> that bit, just that bit last or a couple weeks ago when he just yells at Rick, "Get back here!" That just that's probably like my favorite Scott Wilson moment of the whole series. That was just that's, that's good. Yeah, it, it was just awesome. Just very commanding. You know, just, I don't know, just something about that voice. So while all this is going on over at the uh, nondescript meeting barn, uh, at the prison, we've got Merle, who is really upset about his brother going off to this uh, to this meeting. He's worried that he's going to get killed. And so he wants to use all the newly acquired guns they got from uh, Morgan last episode to go attack the meeting. Uh, but the others are afraid, that, you know, people are going to get hurt. Uh, he, Merle tries to argue about this. Uh, he has a throwdown with Glenn, and uh, and Maggie gets uh, Merle in a headlock, and then eventually, when it's all seeming about to go very badly, who should break everything up with a you know gun fired in the air? Beth, finally getting to fire a gun in the show. Old Tom Waits loving Beth. <laughs> Let me put this baby down to fire this gun in the air. <laughs> here's so here's I have one thought on this, and I don't. Th- I don't. I have no reason right now to think that Merle is still working for the governor. I know we that kind of. So I think Jordan, you teased that idea too, and I thought of that in that last episode of the of the before the mid season break. It but seems I, very unlikely. It seems point. very unlikely at this point. However, not that I'm considering this to be something I, that I'm playing up in my mind. But Merle seemed very, very content that he needed to get to the barn and he needed to protect Daryl and Michonne needed to come with him. So, like, it made me think that if if they were really trying to stretch this out and make that Merle is, in fact, still with the governor, this this kind of maybe was a hint at that. I don't think that's it, but... Well, the, one other thing, now that you mention that, that sticks out to me, is the governor knew about all the guns they had gotten. Mm-hmm. How in the world did he know that? Because I don't think they would have told Andrea... And we, we don't have any reason to believe she's been back inside the prison since last time, although she's obviously uh, contacted Rick somehow. Uh, Merle, to me, seems like the most likely person to know about those guns. Either that, it's certainly not Michonne giving the information over. Either that or the governor just has like some guy that just camps out outside the prison to keep tabs on them. That'd be my only I, other guess. Could or, be, but they, it's not like they unloaded the guns in plain sight or something. You know, they were in bags and they were in vehicles. Did did he make it seem like he knew that they had recently resupplied with guns, or yeah, that he, yes. he, he made it very clear? He okay. directly sent a line that said, "You boys came back the other the other day with a bunch of guns or whatever." Like, yeah, they, he he knows that they have a lot more weapons than, than they did. No, I wonder if he just has somebody you know staking it out. Like, he's just got a rotating crew of people that just sit there, you know, and just watch. That was kind of, yeah. That was my initial thought, uh, assuming that. It doesn't involve Merle in any way, and so we'll see, I guess. Because I can't imagine they'd let Merle out of their sight. I mean, so that doesn't seem likely that he would... I, I, I can't imagine that they'd let Merle walk around the prison and have access to the guns, but they seem to be content with that, so I don't, I don't know what their relationship <laughs> with Merle is in the yeah. prison. He seems to have pretty... For, given what Merle has done, he seems to have pretty free reign around the prison. And all he really needs is, like, a walkie-talkie or something. I mean, uh... he walks right... 
He walks around with a with, he walks around with a shiv arm for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, I mean the whole walkie-talkie thing. I doubt seriously they would have that kind of range. Um, I'm, I'm well, it guessing goes, it goes back and forth to the how far are these two places away from each other, really? Yeah, but without any kind of repeater towers that are actually still running and powered and stuff like that, probably not happening. He's got a True. he's got a shortwave radio built into his arm. Maybe he's got ravens, like Game of Thrones style. They, I, they use they use Morse code. <laughs> yeah, I mean, code, I, sorry. I, out where we are, I mean, if you can get a few miles away from a good repeating tower, and even with a pretty decent radio, um, a fairly high powered radio, and with a good antenna, and it's hard to reach, uh, you know, into our our dispatch area, which is like between seven and eight miles away. So. Merlin's I, a natural I, antenna, I, it, it would be highly unlikely to me. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. That is true. Uh, we also have a nice scene with Maggie and Glenn, where Glenn is on watch, and Maggie comes out to talk to him, and they argue for a bit before they reconcile. Uh, Glenn apologizes for making uh, everything between her and the governor about him, and... Uh, then they start making out. Glenn decides he does not want to do so in front of the zombies, and really, I don't blame him. So they go back inside what uh, what they're calling on the Talking Dead the sex garage, and uh, they uh, they really reconcile inside. Yeah, we we see quite a lot of reconciliation going on. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I really wanted to see Beth or Carl walk in on them. I was waiting for this <laughs> to happen, because that scene was going on for so long, it seemed. I was like, when's someone walking in? Well, I was more waiting for, you know... Glenn was on watch, and all of a sudden there's nobody on watch in probably the worst possible time to have no one on watch. Right. I was waiting for something to go very poorly that way. Like, all of a sudden, the garage door just opens up and there's 30 people outside with guns. That's why I figured, like, Carl would burst in and be like, what are you guys doing? You're not on watch. There's walkers everywhere. And they're like, whoa, what am I seeing? Like, I don't know what to expect. But So the meeting over at the barn ends. And uh, our respective groups make their way back to their homes. Uh, we have some uh, musical overlay for the for the scene as it cuts back and forth. Uh, we see that Andrea has indeed chosen to return to Woodbury at the governor's side. Uh, unfortunately, uh, but I, I think judging by the scene they showed from next week's episode, which I will not spoil, but uh, that seems like it could lead some interesting places. But that's all I'll say. So the governor goes back to Woodbury, and he. Tells Martinez uh, in confidence that they're going to set up an ambush at the barn, and the moment they see that Rick has brought Michonne, they're going to massacre everybody and just bring Michonne back alive so they can uh, take care of her. And Milton is told as well, and he says basically that's a massacre. Or I, I think I guess the governor says this is the best way to avoid a slaughter. And Milton says, uh, "No, that is a slaughter," and we can see that Milton is definitely. Uh, having some problems with what the governor wants to do, particularly after he's met the opposition and uh, shared a laugh with him. That was a good Milton scene. Like that was, this, and be, having Milton be a character who it's hard to get behind, just because I get I get that he doesn't like the dark side of the governor and the things that he's been doing, but he is that guy that's also falling along with these things, and you can argue it's for the sake of his own survival, but. I this that's a good that was a good scene that like conveyed to me like Milton I'd like to see him make it out of this if he can right right and honestly I don't think I see Milton making it out of I don't know if I'll say this season but this storyline alive like I have a feeling he's one of the people who gets cut down yeah. but I'd actually kind of like to see him join Rick's group I think you know just judging by that scene with him and Herschel he could make a pretty interesting addition to the cast. I would agree with that, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, it seems unlikely, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to the idea of Milton being still on board next season. Yeah, I think Dallas Roberts really brings like a weirdness to that character that's kind of appealing in a strange, you know, icky kind of way. And now that Glenn has kind of transferred away from his inherent nerddom, and I, I don't say that as a negative, not like they've abandoned his character, but just as he's. Uh, kind of testosteroneed up, uh, so to say, so to speak. Um, it'd be nice to have a you know bookish, nerdy character um, in the cast because that's an archetype they don't really have right now. Well, once Beth's contacts dry up and she has to start wearing her glasses again, maybe she can turn into that character. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, at the prison, uh, Daryl and Herschel and Rick return, and Rick tells his people 
that the governor is not going to accept their uh, their terms and it's going to be war. He leaves out the Michonne part completely. Um, and then he later tells Herschel what really happened and says that basically he told everyone this to scare them. And I got the impression that, that he scared them because he's really considering taking the Michonne deal. And, and he says to Herschel, you know, basically I'm telling this so you can talk me out of it. But he's he knows the governor's probably going to betray him, but he's not sure he can bet his son and daughter's life on this. And he basically wants to scare everyone so badly that when he gives them the option of, hey, if we give Michonne, he says he'll let us go, that they take that plan. Yeah, this threw me back and forth, because uh, at first I was like, okay, Rick's not going to take this Michonne deal at all. He's leaving it out. Then he goes and tells Herschel that, oh, yeah, by the way, this Michonne deal's happening. But then he also kind of conveys the fact that I don't know if I can trust it. So <laughs> eventually it worked out. Then <laughs> I'm like, okay, Rick's not too dim here. He knows that the governor's a liar, but... We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I think after all the the, the um, you know confrontation with him in in the barn or whatever, you know, the little tête-à-tête, as it were, I think he still realizes that he can't trust him. So hopefully that that will be the way it plays out. Because I mean, it's pretty obvious that you know the governor is not of good intent. You know, he's not going to just take Michonne and walk away. I mean, it's obvious to the viewer. I think it'd be obvious to him as well. And it's interesting, you know, back at back at Woodbury, the governor tells Andrea, oh, everything's going to work out just fine. We've got these peace, uh, peace accords on the table. We're going to work it out. So he's lying to his people, or at least to uh, at least to Andrea and probably to the townspeople as well. And Rick's lying to his people, once again, blurring that line between good and evil. And but both people will or both leaders willing to mislead um, their groups for theoretically the good of those groups. The greater good. It's so funny, it's like, what's he supposed to tell Andrea? Well, you know your friend who said I was totally evil? Yeah, I'm, I, I'll, if I get to kill her, your friends go free, so I get to prove that she's you know, totally right, that I am totally evil. Right, right. So that is the episode, Arrow on the Doorpost, and we have a voicemail about this episode, so gentlemen, let's play that now. Yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about last week's episode, Clear, where, uh, Rick and them, it kind of reminded me of uh, the 18 Miles Out episode, and at the end of it, when Rick's sort of in the passenger seat, and he's kind of looking out as they're driving away, it sort of reminds you of Shane in a similar situation just a season ago, where he was sort of being brought back to the group, like, you know, you're welcoming back, you know, we, we need you, and then and obviously the group needs Rick to come back. Obviously, there's going to be a lot different results because Rick's the star of the show, but now I do want to talk about this week's, man, that made me so nervous seeing the governor and Rick sitting there. I'm like, Rick, don't sit down. This guy's going to shoot you in the chest. I was so nervous. The show's doing a great job making him a villain because I can't wait to see him die, but I don't want it to come in a bad way. I just, man, I just can't wait for that showdown. And I think Andrea, does she make her choice there? Is that what that was? A crossroad for her where she goes with the governor's people, she's on that side. She goes to Rick, he's on his side. I still don't see her being a part of a group that hits the prison to assault and kill them, especially Michonne. But I love that the governor thinks Rick's stupid enough to actually give up one of his best killers just to sort of make temporary peace, even though he's trying to pretend like it's the real peace. I just wanted to comment on that stuff. I love the show, God, man. That was awesome. But yeah, I love the podcast, too, guys. Good job. Just wanted to drop a line. Cool. Take care. Bye. Well, thank you very much for that voicemail. So is that Andrea's final decision? Uh, I I don't think so. Uh, a couple of things before we get started. <clears throat> for the gentleman that left us the voicemail, uh, we really, really appreciate it. I think it's the second voicemail. I, I think he left us one last week. If you could just tell us who you are, we'd love to give you uh, <laughs> give you credit and give you a shout out for uh, for leaving us that voicemail um, on the show. Unless you want to stay anonymous, which that's totally cool too. But uh, but it it, it it it'd be nice to to give you recognition for uh, for being involved in the show. I like that he he really likes the show. Like I'm happy I'm happy that people like the show. Like like how it's progressing. Like I'm, yeah. I, I'm just critical just because I am by nature, and I try to express my thoughts on it accordingly. I mean, I thought well, that, it is your job. I know, yeah, I know. But <laughs> it's a and I and I loved last week's episode, which is why I'm harder on an episode like this, which I just don't think quite rises up to the 
to the top. But I'm, I'm so happy that other people just really embrace the fact that the governor is this evil guy and they hate him, but they love him also because he's so evil and they like they like seeing him, even though they want him to, you know, eventually meet, meet, meet his maker. And I kind of kept quiet before when you asked about wasn't the stuff outside much so much better, but I'm kind of in our anonymous callers uh, camp where, I mean, I definitely like the stuff outside, but I was equally brought in by the tension inside. I, I like that kind of stuff. No, did I, did I expect either one of them to die in that episode? Absolutely not. But I could see one of them getting shot or maimed or uh, otherwise injured. And even without that, I thought the, the tension between them, uh, the verbal tete-a-tete, was interesting enough to hold my attention and to be to hold my attention and to be really tension filled. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. So getting back to his, uh, his voicemail, right about Andrea. Yeah. I mean, I, do you think she's able to make it out of this season alive and back with Rick's group? Yeah, <laughs> I do. Yeah. I think that's possible. It's not necessarily something I want to see happen, but yeah, she's probably going to eventually wise up. And even at the end of this episode, it seems like, Herschel probably got to her, and we didn't really see the end of their conversation, so she might have more going on in mind than you know we're privy to at this moment, so next I, week or... Yeah, I think, I think I see it... I'm sorry, Jim, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think she has a really big role to play in the season finale. That's just my prediction. I think it's going to go one of two ways when it all hits the fan. Either she's going to go back into Rick's group and join the fold, or... If they decide to get rid of the governor, I think she takes over Woodbury and amicably splits between uh, Rick's group, and that you know she's just kind of uh, there to come back to you know now and again as as this series moves forward. But uh, but who knows? I could totally get behind that idea. I think that'd be interesting. Um, it'd be a good way for them to kind of write her off the show for a bit, and then that way when she shows up half season or a full season or a season and a half later, they can have dramatically overhauled her character to deal with a lot of fan complaints, and it can be explained away by, hey, she's a different person, it's been a year, a year and a half, and she's gone through a lot, she's grown as a person, and hey, also also she's an awesome sniper now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Whatever they want to do to to deal with the problems that a lot of people have with her character, which again, I don't really have so much, I mean, I have some problems with the character, but um, they can definitely take that. They, if they did go down that road, they could use that as an opportunity to address a lot of those issues. Well, if she became the new governor, she certainly has Woodbury resident Karen's vote. <laughs> and her son with asthma. I was going to say, as long as she keeps his asthmatic son, or her, her asthmatic son out of the army. So what were your buster ratings this week, gentlemen? Uh, Aaron, since you're our guest, why don't you go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Um so in my, and I'll just kind of explain a little, in my written review, I put a three and a half busters, and I, because I, I know you guys, you tend to go in, even in between those with the 4.25s and stuff like that, and I try not to do that just because I'm used to reviewing movies, of course, so I just kind of stick to my own star system, but I would say 3.5 busters, but 3.75 for the sake of the show is kind of where I'm leaning to, because I do like a lot of things about it, I think the actors do a good job of what they're given here, I think that has a lot of strong moments, but overall, I do think it just feels like it's back to filling out time before we get to more inevitable places that the season has to go. I also give it a 3.5, or I, I, I guess you gave it 3.75. I give it a 3.5. Um, again, it seems like when we give it a low, quote-unquote, low rating that we're being a little harsh on the show, and I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's just... Um, I enjoyed the show very much. I mean, I don't watch too many live shows on television or watch them even week to week. I typically let stuff build up. I mean, granted, you know, we do a podcast, so we have to keep up. But um, even if I wasn't doing the podcast, I'd still be keeping up. So when you have to rank things, you know, everything can't be a five and everything can't be a two. So um, I, I think this was a fine episode. I don't. There's nothing that really made me roll my eyes. There's nothing that I really can stand out and say I didn't like. Uh, I, I just think it was another one of those episodes that is necessary, that has to push the story along and, you know, move the pieces on the board a little, little you know, more to, to get them to the point where I'm assuming we'll hit at the end of this season, you know, to set up for the beginning of the next season. Um, I think it was important that Rick and the governor, you know, had this meeting to feel each other out and to and to make it a little more personal. I mean, if this whole thing took place with the two of them, 
never having really met face to face, then there's not much weight to it when this inevitable conflict or confrontation takes place. I mean, we've we've seen it a couple times already. Um, so so for me, again, like I said, I, I think it was a fine episode. I think it was better than average, um, but but definitely not in the upper echelon of episodes that we've seen so far, particularly this season. Yeah, it's like because you know it's like. I really loved last week's episode. I gave that a five, and I don't do that very often. And it's just this one doesn't – it's not the same, so I naturally have to rate it lower. <laughs> I give this straight up four out of five. I'm not going to go into the decimals this week. Uh, <laughs> I, I like I, – I don't mind the character moments at all. I, I thought some of them were pretty cool. I really liked uh, – you know, the Martinez and Daryl, like we said, and the, uh, the the Herschel and Milton. And I thought there were some really good um, acting moments there with Andrew Lincoln and David Morrissey as well, even though, as, you know, little got accomplished, uh, you know, as far as, you know, the plot is concerned, you know, derailing the inevitable, you know, clash between Woodbury and the prison. I thought there were some good acting moments there, and it was enjoyable, and it was definitely not what I was ex- expecting at all after last week. Um, so I definitely give it a straight four out of five. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I will give the episode a even four. Uh, I mean, like you guys have said, it's certainly not as standout as last week's episode, but I really did enjoy it. Uh, I, I thought it was ten- attention-filled where it needed to be, and it was uh, fun and interesting and uh, introspective, characterly introspective, which doesn't make any sense, but it was introspective on the characters <laughs> um, outside, which was a lot of fun as well. So, I mean, all around, I thought it was solid, not standout, but definitely solid. So four for me. What did our fans on Facebook have to say about the episode? Well, you know, generally positive ratings. Uh, Luke Smith FX gave it a solid 4 out of 5. Wasn't what I expected, and the tension kept me at the edge of my seat. Uh, Don Heffern gave it a 4.5 again, which is what he gave it last week as well. 3.75 from Rob Toll. Max Fofer, uh, Sofer gave it a 4 out of 5 stale cigarettes. I like the action, but when they have this little of it and make an episode this intense, it makes for a good one for me. Uh, Robert Nigro gave it a 3 out of 5 brought whiskeys. Um, Newt Knight gave it a 4.5 out of 5 baseball bats, very tense, reminiscent of Nebraska. I agree. They're definitely, you know, that kind of tension in the room, you know, that, you know, being able, you know, somebody going off at any moment that really was reminiscent of, of Nebraska. And that was one of my favorite episodes from that season. Uh, Leslie Johnson, 4.5. Uh, Everard gave it a 4.5. Uh, John Jublin gave it a 4 out of 5 stump arsenals. And Mike Jones gave it a straight up 5 out of 5. Uh, Terry Bernard gave it 4. Herschel laughing at his own jokes out of 5. Uh, Shane Jenkins gave, <laughs> gave it a 4 driving Miss Herschels out of 5. Good episode. I didn't think it was quite as good as last week. Uh, Roger Austin, 4.5 out of 5 zombie throwing knives. That was a pretty sweet move on Daryl's part this week. And Philip Hart, 3.75 T-Dogs. Uh, keep on you know, pouring it out for T-Dog there. Uh, if you'd like to be part of our Facebook group, it's pretty active. Just check out uh, Walking Dead TV podcast, uh, Facebook groups, and uh, we are there. And we, we put a lot of good news tidbits up. You can link right from there to Aaron's uh, review every week. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff, so check it out. And Brad couldn't be with us this week, but he did send in a bunch of Twitter Buster ratings. So what do the people on Twitter have to say? Uh, Carl Hooker gave it four out of five drunken Herschel stumps. (laughs) Meg Stewart uh, gave it 4.5 Herschel stumps. Um, We got Icarus Artukovich gave it three and a half busters out of five. Court gave it 3.75 busters. Buster gave it 4.5 busters. And we got a couple comments here. Um, Buster is usually pretty generous with the Busters, though. He, he is, though. That's, that is true. That's just his way. Um, Rob Perez uh, just gave us a, a, a little mention, said, Rick, uh, he said, Rick can't believe that the governor is going to stop once he gets Michonne. So, I think we all agree with that, too. I mean, we were talking about yeah, that earlier. Yeah. That's all we had for this week. So anything else you guys want to add before we close out the episode this week? Three more episodes left this season. Man, we're getting there. I know. So what do you guys, I mean, do you, do you think the, the whole the Woodbury prison uh, you know, conflict will be reconciled by the end of the season? Or do you think that's going to be the cliffhanger going into next season? I do. I think it'll be 
I mean, I, it's a season finale for a show of this magnitude that has big audience base every week. Last season, you had, you know, the giant barn burn down. I mean, it makes sense for me to see a giant war happen between Woodbury and the prison. I think Woodbury will survive, though. I think the governor won't make it out, but I think Woodbury will survive. I like Russ's idea quite a bit about Andrea taking over. Um, I think that's fairly likely. And I think it's a good place to be able to return in the future um, and have some stories with without the governor as well. If we learn more about Karen, that's fine by me. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I would not vote against that. I know I've said this in the in in the past, but I think that the governor Woodbury that they're going to both be make it out just fine at the end of the season. I think uh, something tells me this season is going to have a serious, real uh, cliffhanger. I, you know, I think up until this point we haven't really gotten a uh, you know a true cliffhanger like everybody on the edge of their seat. You know, literally like the you know the mid. The, you know, the, the, the end of Star Trek, uh, the next generation, you know, uh, you know, Bo- you know, Picard is a Borg kind of, uh, kind of cliffhanger yet out of this show. And I think something is going to happen this season that's going to give us that. And I think Morrissey will be back as the governor for next season. And I think, I think it'll resolve itself next season, but I think they're going to, they're going to carry this forward. Yeah, no, Rick's going to call in a, you know, he's going to firebomb the city. He's going to burn it down. (laughs) Well, that's it for this week's episode. Of course, stick around, because after the ending, we'll, of course, have our slightly spoilery look towards next week. But until next episode, you can leave us a voicemail at 516-468-7912. That's 516-468-7912. We'd love to hear from you. Or, alternatively, you can send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. And, of course, you can check out all of our other fine shows at hhwlod.com, like Half Hour Wasted, Legion of Dudes, PKD Black Box, uh, The Brand New Jersey Shore, and, of course, out now with Aaron and Abe. Aaron, why don't you tell the folks about your fine little program? Uh, yeah, out now with Aaron and Abe. It is myself and my co-host Abe, along with a few guests every week. We talk about whatever the biggest movie release of the week is. This week in particular will be Oz the Great and Powerful. And, of course, we'll cover the, the upcoming movies. Uh, I think G.I. Joe comes out in a few few weeks from now, and we're actually getting close to our 100th episode. So, uh, you know, we're having a lot of fun talking about the movies on our show. Very, very cool. And you can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. And so until there's no more room in hell on the dead walk the earth, remember, ladies, you're more than welcome to see my stump. But come on, buy me a drink first. Have a good week, everybody. Walk it out. Every day I be stumping. <laughs> Every day I'm stumping and ding 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 ding. So next week on The Walking Dead, remember, spoiler spoilers, the episode is entitled Prey, P R E Y, and the very short plot synopsis we have is with the governor busy pursuing a runaway dissenter, a traitor looks to sabotage his plans. And like I said, from the scene I saw from next week's episode, uh, I am very interested to see where this particular storyline goes because it's looking very, very dark. Yeah. Do we want to talk about... Is it too spoilery to talk about the actual scene they showed for next week, or should we should we not deal with that? Well, uh, let's, let's give it a clean break here, folks, if you don't want to hear about the scene. Uh, I believe it was the one they played during Talking Dead because that's the only thing I've seen so far. Um, you know, Jump ahead now to the bloopers if there are any. But uh, for those of you who do want to stick around, uh, the scene we saw was Milton and Andrea in a dark room. Um, they look through this grate and down to the to the floor below them, and they see a dentist or barber's chair. Um, well, I guess if you go back farther enough in history, it's the same thing. But uh, it has handcuffs <laughs> on it. Be- no, I'm serious. I know. Um, <laughs> y- uh, behind the behind the uh, the chair, there is uh, like a hospital. Uh, equipment gurney with all kinds of saws and other implements of torture on it and Andrea looks uh, ho- horrified for good reason and she and Milton talk about um, that they they are probably the traitors or one of them is going to be the traitor I believe Andrea says she's going to kill the governor and then they both have to be very quiet as the governor walks in with a box of stuff and that's about where the scene ends the, the one they showed at the end of the episode at least on the encore presentation was Andrea talking to Tyrese uh, and crew, and saying basically, this is he, he is not the man you think he is. You know that he's 
very da- I can't remember if she said he's very dangerous or there's you know basically something not right. So it's it looked like she's trying to win Tyrese and his gang over to whatever it is she has planned or her and Milton have planned. So Oh, very cool. I did not see that one. Yeah. Building a, yeah. So building I think a small army. Yeah. So it it definitely looks like Andrea uh things may not be as they appear in that I think and I kind of, like I said, I kind of got this at the at the end of the episode. She is not on his side. That she is playing at this point, kind of both ends against the middle to to you know make sure she comes out on top. No pun intended. Um, from from this one, <laughs> we've already had enough Andrea nudity this season. So. Whoa! Can you whoa, ever whoa, have whoa. enough? Hold your tongue. Can you ever have enough? More than I was expecting, I'll say. Yeah, that's not a bad thing, though. No, it's not. I like Lori Holt. I mean, honestly, you, you have a lot of problems with Andrew's character. Was the amount of nudity really a, a problem you had with her this season? No, I can't say it was. She, well, should, be, uh, she should be featuring <laughs> Baker Griffin's side boob hour, though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a good week. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next episode. Thanks. Good night. Stomp out. Please call me Mr. Steve Martin. <laughs> uh, should I listen to this voicemail real quick? No, no, we'll listen to it when we when we play it. Oh, I'll just listen. Okay. We'll all listen to it together. Okay. Yeah, we're all about togetherness here. We find it's the sexiest way to do it. What I like about my mic is I can type in the background and it doesn't pick it up anymore. We like that too. Yeah. <laughs> it's the mic's not facing it, so it That's works. magic. <laughs> That's some weird magic, isn't it? There's a little tiny wizard. Let's, let's, let's light this candle. This is 86? Probably. (laughs) Podcast professionalism. And then... Oh, go ahead. Oh, my God. Oh, hold on. I'll be right back. Oh, okay. Wow, that wasn't loud and annoying at all. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'll wake you up. Mm Mm-hmm. These giant cushy headphones on is like, wow. I have to wait for make sure that uh, Jordan's house isn't burning down. Be back as soon as I've stopped the fire alarm. What? what, what? <laughs> My sister fried chicken in a pan and it set off the alarm. <sighs> These kids today with their fried chicken, I'm telling you. Okay, it finally stopped. Thank God. That was so loud. Okay, where was I when that mess started? That's so loud. I think, yeah, I was. I think I was going to say something. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> My ears literally hurt from that noise. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Somebody burn popcorn? Uh, my sister burned chicken in a pan. Ah, uh, there you have it.